Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. I want to thank you again for taking the time to spend with us enjoying the Word of the Lord that we're sharing. Uh, I encourage you to tell your friends about us. Uh, we're, uh, uh, we're just uh, trying to teach the Word of God and, and uh, I, I believe it would be a blessing to you to just grab your Bible and sit down with us and uh, let's just at least explore the possibilities that there may be some more things in this wonderful Word of God uh, that we've maybe not discovered. I like to look at getting in the Word like it's just a big old treasure hunt because every time I get to dig it around in the Word of God, it just to me comes alive. Let me say uh, again quickly by way of review that if you have missed any of the last programs, I think I, I've lost count of how many programs we have aired on the book of Revelation. We're teaching from the book of Revelation at least for this season. Uh, I really would like to hear from you, what you're hearing, whether you're being blessed. That way it lets me know whether I need to continue to teach on this subject because I'm thinking uh, about at least covering the seven churches. I don't know what I'm going to do uh, beyond that. Uh, but if you're enjoying it, let us know via an email or a telephone call or hit us on our public profile page on Facebook and let us know whether you're enjoying this or not, what you're getting from it because I'm telling you uh, that really tells us what our audience is hearing and enjoying and uh, uh, whether we need to continue in this or back up and do something else. But if you've missed any of the programs, you can go back to my website and the uh, information's on the screen or you can go to YouTube. Everything we have aired to date is there. You can go back and review these programs and let's say today you get all excited, you think, boy, I wish I had a, uh, I wish I could listen to that program again. You can. You can go to YouTube, to our channel, and uh, you can watch that. You can also subscribe to our iTunes, our uh, podcast, that has the audio from this program on it and listen to it on the way to work or whatever. You can also download TBN's app. And TBN has an app that gives you all 10 of their channels. You can watch it live on your iPhone, your iPad, or you can watch it archived, or you could tell your friends that don't get cable. You can get it on the internet. And so uh, it will be a blessing to you. We've got several churches that are absolutely uh, bringing, watching this on Wednesday night. They're pulling it down off of YouTube and watching it. And we encourage you to do that. It's a good way to teach your folks uh, some things like that. And, uh, and uh, also just, you know, like I said, we are a traveling ministry as well. We're coming to a city near you and we love it when our uh, television audience comes and they introduce themselves to us because we just really love the fact that we're catching on. People are showing up everywhere in our meetings and my itinerary is on my website as well. I want to get back in the Word this morning. We're going to go back to the book of Revelation. Chapter number 3 is where I'm dealing with and I'm going to read the text and then we'll begin to build again from this. Chapter 3 says, Unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before me. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt know what, not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Once again, one of the things we've, again, I review each time, but it could be that people are watching us for the very first time. But when I think about this word uh, repentance, again, it is the Greek word metanoia, and it means to change the way you think. Once again, this book of Revelation was written to seven churches that were really in Asia. I, I personally believe because of several things that this book of Revelation was written prior to 70 AD. I, the reason I believe that is, is because, first of all, there's a lot of evidence to, to that very reason. I know that there's some argument that was written later, but the internal evidence alone, uh, to me, uh, lets me know that it is talking to these people. Number one, uh, he says to them in Revelation 1, these things are about to shortly come to pass. Uh, then he says to them uh, later in the book of Revelation in chapter 11, the temple is still standing. So uh, the internal evidence to me is enough to let me know that this had to be written prior to the destruction of the temple and uh, at least in the understanding of John. So these people uh, within this time plan or this time, uh, this time uh, epic or uh, where they're at in history, was the first church of the first century. It was really written to seven churches that were really in Asia. I know we take all kinds of side issues and say, well, this is seven different church ages. Uh, that's not what the scripture says. God told John, take this revelation and send it to the seven churches that were really in Asia. This was the first church, and what was happening is the message, the beginning of the message of the book of Revelation is to tell the churches that they need to repent. They need to metanoia, change the way you think. You need to have a paradigm shift. And the whole paradigm that we have shared from the outset of this teaching, probably for 18 weeks now has been, the paradigm shift, everything he tells these churches in Revelation, and again the word church means called out ones. They're called out of an old covenant and into a new covenant. They're called out of darkness into light. They're called out of sin into righteousness. They're called out ones. But they're not only being called out, they're being brought in. We will see in the next couple of weeks as we finally get over to the fourth chapter of Revelation that there's a door open in heaven and a throne set. That's because it's the birthing of the kingdom of God. This church, these churches are making a shift from a mosaic old covenant form of government, an external set of rules and regulations, to an internal governor called the Holy Spirit. That, in, that external set of rules and codes is literally what is called the administration of death written on stone. And I'm going to go back and read this to you again uh, from 2 Corinthians chapter uh, number 3. It says in verse 6, Who has also made us able ministers? of the New Testament, not of the letter that kills, but the Spirit that gives life. We are not as God, you know, I got a prophetic word in my first year of ministry, 38 years ago, and a prophet of God came up to me and said, I'm going to make you an able minister of the New Covenant, not of the letter that kills. I, I, just to be honest with you, I didn't have a clue what that meant. I thought I did back then, but truthfully, I was really a legalist whenever uh, I first received that prophetic word. And I believe that the Lord is still making me an able minister of the new covenant. 
And I believe what I'm ministering now is the Spirit and not the letter. Uh, the, the work of the Spirit in the life of the believer, the power of the Holy Spirit to transform your life to change you. Make no mistake about it. Uh, this ministry is not trying to preach a message that could give you some kind of a license to sin. What we are trying to do is minister the Spirit to you so that you learn how to live out of your spirit, trust the Holy Ghost that is inside of you because it brings life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. And he tells them all on here, on down through here, verse number seven, but if the administration of death written and engraven in stones was glorious. Now, you've got to think about this a minute. The Apostle Paul is calling the... It, what, and, and look, people say, well, no, we, we've been redeemed from the ceremonial law. But I'm telling you, that's not what the Scripture says. The Scripture says the administration of death written and engraven in stones. The only part written on stones was the Ten Commandments. If you go to the seventh chapter of the book of Romans, Paul said when the commandment came, Sin revived and I died. It's what produced death in the Apostle Paul. In Colossians chapter 2, he removed the handwriting of ordinance that was against us by nailing it to the cross. Does that mean I get to live any old way I want to? I don't, I, I, I'm certainly not communicating that. I'm simply saying that when the Holy Spirit comes, He brings with Him a righteousness that flows from within rather than an external code written on rocks. And I believe when He says to this church at Sardis, you've got a name that you're alive, but you're really dead. And He said, you know, you need to strengthen the things which are, are ready to die. Uh, because uh, uh, if you do, you're going to walk with me in white. To me, the concept here is that He's telling them to move from an uh, administration of legalism and law and death and ministering the letter and ministering the... It's not my opinion. It's what the Word of God says. The administration of death written and engraven in stones. And it goes on to say that, it, How shall not the administration of the Spirit be rather glorious? That's verse 8. For if the administration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceeding glory. I like how the Message Bible says this. It says, For if the ministration of death was glorious, how about this administration of affirmation? Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in an administration of affirmation than I would in an administration of condemnation and death. It says, For even that which uh, was made glorious had no, I, no glory in respect by reason of the glory that excelled. For if that which is done away was glorious. Now listen, not my opinion what the Word says. For if that which was done away was glorious. Much more that which remaineth is glorious. In other words, everything about this new covenant is glorious. And, and, and it goes on to say uh, that uh, seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. What I begin to discover is that the keeping your garment, where he's talking to this church at Sardis, he's saying, you know what? Strengthen the things that are ready to die, because I've not found your works perfect. What I begin to see is that if we are going to try to approach God based on our works. The Scripture tells us it's not of works, lest any man should boast. Now stay with me just a moment. So, but, but Romans chapter 1 and chapter 2 and into chapter 3 tells, in chapter 1 and 2 in Romans, it tells, and I shared this in the last segment, but it tells us that, uh, that uh, the, the law indicts everything and everybody. If you go back and read it, don't just read chapter 1 and 2, read it all the way through chapter 3, because it's chapter 1 and chapter 2 is telling you that the insiders 
and the outsiders, the Jews and the Gentiles, both of them are guilty. And what he does in chapter 3 is he tells you that the purpose of giving the law was to conclude all under sin so that every mouth would be stopped and that all the world would become guilty and that I think it is Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God didn't find anybody's works perfect before Him. But I'm going to tell you that what he does then is he brings us into a righteousness and a robe. Remember, he's promising the church at Sardis to walk with him in white. I'm telling you, if you read in the book of Revelations that the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints, what he's saying is that, you know what? What you need to do is realize that if you simply can overcome and remember, he tells them, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. In other words, you need to go back and get a revelation of what you already got. See, I believe one of the greatest revelations that's going to come to the church in America is not what God's going to do, but what He's already done. And the truth of it is, if we could awake to righteousness, we would sin no more. I'm telling you, there's a righteousness that is not volatile, that's not based on your performance. It's not in and then out. It is a righteousness that is a robe that we have received of Him because He that knew no sin. Let me, let me read this to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, uh, verse 21 says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Now think about that. He made Him to be sin for us who do no sin. So He who did absolutely nothing wrong on His part was made to be sin. That doesn't look fair to me. Jesus did absolutely nothing wrong in order to be made sin, and God made Him to be sin for us. Now watch this. The same made that he was made sin with, I was made righteous. So he made him to be sin who did absolutely nothing wrong. But he made me to be righteous who did absolutely nothing right. I'm telling you, that doesn't look fair either, but that's the gift of God that it is. We were made the righteousness of God. Now let me tell you what will happen. The moment you become, I believe it is as John chapter 16 says, I believe it is John 16. Let me see if I can find that real quickly. But it tells you that the Holy Spirit will convict. Yeah, it's John 16, uh, verse number 8. It says, And when He has come, talking about the Holy Spirit, He will reprove. Literally, He will convict. That's what my center column wrote. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment, of sin because they believe not. So the first work of the Holy Spirit is to convince and convict everybody, to conclude them all under sin, that I've not found your works perfect before me. That I, in other words, it, it, it is to, the first work of the Holy Spirit is to cause unbelievers to realize, I need a Savior. See, the whole purpose of the law and we are, you know, we are not haters of the law. We believe the law is perfect, converting the soul. But the purpose of the law is to bring you to the end of yourself where you realize, hallelujah, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and that I need a Savior. That's the first work of the Holy Spirit. The second dimension of the work of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16 is to convict of righteousness because I go to the Father and you see me no more, and of judgment because the prince of this world is already 
judge. Now, what he's simply saying is the convicting power of the Holy Ghost, once you become a believer, is not to continually make you convinced and convicted you're a sinner. Because once you get born again, you are no longer a sinner. You've been made the righteousness of God. And I am praying that the power of the Holy Spirit will so sweep the nations of the earth, and especially to the believers in Christ, if they get convicted of righteousness, they're going to act like they're righteous. And let me tell you what will happen is works will flow out of that, but not works to get something, but works because you've already got something. In other words, if you believe you're righteous, you will act like you're righteous. The just will live by faith. And, 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 and you know, uh, 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 right believing will produce right living. I'm convinced that it's just our problem is a faith problem. It is a believing problem. We don't believe we're righteous, so we don't act like we're righteous. But the power of the Holy Spirit is there to convict and to convince us of righteousness. We need to strengthen the things that are about ready to die and strengthen this church and get it to begin to embrace its righteousness. Let me, with that thought, take you to the book of St. Luke. I want to talk about, there's uh, in the 8th chapter of the book of St. Luke, uh, if I can get it, if I don't finish it in this segment, I'll finish it in the next one. But in, in Luke, the 8th chapter, is a powerful picture of this. Verse number 41 says, And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was the ruler of the synagogue. And he, was a, and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had one only daughter, one only daughter, about, I want you to note this, 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him, and a woman having an issue of blood 12 years. I want you to see that this girl was 12 years old when she was dying, and this woman had been bleeding for as long as this girl had been alive. And the woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood staunched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? And then all denied Peter, and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude thronged thee and pressed thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody has touched me, for I perceive that virtue is going out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling, fell down before him, and she declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he had said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort, for thy faith has made thee whole. Go in peace. And while he yet spake, uh, there cometh one of the rulers of the synagogue, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him, saying, Here's, here's a powerful message. Fear not, believe only. That's the requirement of the new covenant, is that you believe. As a matter of fact, when Jesus is literally telling them, I have not found your works perfect before me. Actually, I believe it is St. John. Let me see if I can. I'm going to come back here. Keep your finger in Luke. But St. John chapter number 6, uh, verse number 28, tells you what the work of God is. Verse 27, uh, verse number 28 says, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on Him whom He has sent. And they said therefore unto Him, What sign showest thou that we may see and believe that believe thee? What dost thou work? In other words, He says, here's the only work of the New Covenant. John 6, 28. You need to write that down. In you. The only work of the New Covenant is that you believe. So He's telling them 
only believe. And, uh, and, and she shall be made whole. And when he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter, James, and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her, and he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleeps. I think that's powerful. We need to hear that. This generation is not dead, they're just asleep. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, took her by the hand, and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she arose straightway, and commanded them to give her meat. I want you to note they give her meat and not milk. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Now, I think this is a powerful picture to me. Uh, let me just try to set the stage because I'm starting to run out of time. But there's a woman with an issue of blood. To me, this powerfully pictures the church in America, not just America, all over the world. And this woman is not bleeding from the nose. Life is running out of her. Remember the church at Sardis, he said, restrengthen the things which are ready to die. This woman is about, she has been in a condition where she's bleeding, not from the nose, she's bleeding to death at the point of intimate relationship. But the real issue here, and I could go into a lot of stuff, but the real issue in, in Luke's gospel is one of righteousness. You say, how can that be, Brother Howes? She's bleeding. Yes. Isaiah, I believe it is, chapter 64 says this. It says, for all of your righteousness is like filthy rags. That's Isaiah 64, verse 6 for your notes. Uh, all your righteousness is like a menstruous cloth. So what this woman, which to me pictures the church, is bleeding to death with a, uh, with, with a righteousness issue. She's, she's a full of self-righteousness. And what Jesus is really trying to do is get to this girl who had been dying but had been alive for the same length of time this woman's been dying. And all of a sudden, I begin to hear the Lord say to me, this little girl pictures the next generation. I believe the Lord wants to get to our kids. I believe God wants to reach the young people of our nation. I believe God wants to reach the young people of our churches. But before he can ever get to the next generation, he's going to have to deal with this woman's issues, these issues of blood, because if we bring this generation into the church with all the issues we got, all this woman's going to be able to do is impart her issues to them and mess them up as bad as she is and the life runs out of them. There's a generation dying while we're messing around with all kinds of theologies that don't produce anything. And that to me, you know, I think about where the, the book of Titus, where Paul writes, it's, I believe it was Titus, and he says, uh, let the older women teach the younger women how to love their husbands. And I begin to hear the Lord say, the older woman is a picture of the church. And before she could get this younger girl, she's going to have to know how to love her husband herself because there's got to be something that moves us beyond this righteousness thing. This woman spent everything she had on physicians. I don't think they were just necessarily doctors like our medical doctors. They were probably somewhat that, but these are doctors of the law. They had all kinds of formulas for her. I know there's people out there right now, you've been to every kind of physician. You, you have had people diagnose your problem and give you formula after formula and prescription after prescription and prescription after prescription, and you're not getting better. You're getting worse 
because the prescription-based performance religion will make the life run out of you rather than give the life back to you. And so when I begin to, you know, I could talk about, you know, if you ever watch television in the evening, it's going to come on and they're going to, uh, you know, first of all, they're going to uh, show you a cheeseburger that you've got to have. And before you know it, you're down the road getting a double quarter pounder with cheese and you're going to supersize that bad boy. Then you're going to come back to the home and the very next commercial is the number or is a, is a pill that's going to help you counteract that cheeseburger you just ate. If you take this pill, you know, this thing's got four-wheel drive and power windows, you know, almost. And then they're going to start listening. Yeah, but it could cause, uh, you know, loose motions. You could lose your brains. You could die. This could kill you. This could cause your feet to fall off. You know, I mean, your kidneys could drop out. You need to, and it'll take this whole long list of side effects. And, and, and then, you know, you take the pill and then the next commercial is the number for a lawyer that you can use to sue the guy that just gave you the pill. Something's wrong with this picture, but it reminds me of the American church. The side effects. While we sit back and we think, oh, it's no big deal. Let me tell you, the side effects of religion is killing us and it's killing the next generation. When the real issue is, I'm going to touch Jesus because when I touch Jesus, according to the law, the book of Leviticus, it was against the law for a woman who was bleeding to touch him. She should have been going around saying, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. The law said, you can't touch Jesus if you're unclean. But the moment she touched him, according to the law of Moses, he became unclean by reason of her uncleanness. But see, the power of the new covenant is, hallelujah, he did become unclean by reason of her uncleanness, but she became clean by reason of her, un because he said, virtue's gone out of me. In other words, he took your sin, you got his righteousness. An incredible exchange took place to where he that knew no sin became sin, so you could be made the righteousness of God, and her issues dried up, and Jesus says, see, now I can get to the next generation that's not dead, they're asleep. I submit to you. I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I submit to you that this generation that's here on planet earth, they are not dead, they are asleep. But somebody is about to go wake them up and when Jesus walks into that room, he says to her, damsel arise, and he tells them, go bring her some meat. I think it's interesting that he says bring her some meat because the scripture tells us that if you need meat, you, are, you have been exercised in the word of righteousness, and the word of righteousness is milk of the word of God. So if you've got that settled, then it's time to give some meat. In other words, once we settle the righteousness issue, we're able to give them some meat. I'm about to run out of time, but I'm telling you, if you've got one only daughter, and it depends on her living or dying, you're going to get to Jesus and say, the issue here today is touching Jesus. That's the issue. Strengthen the things which are ready to die, because life will flow from him. Take a moment to call that number on the screen. So seated in the ministry, go to our website. You can do it that way or any way. But uh, for prayer, any of those things, call that number on the screen. Tune in again next week as we continue teaching this series out of the book of Revelation. God bless you. For anyone struggling to understand John's writings in Revelation, this book provides true, biblically-based answers. Through detailed insights into the letters John wrote to the seven churches of his day, you will learn how to avoid the mistakes of the early church to overcome today's trials and tribulations. This book will provoke you to thought and dialogue, bringing greater clarity and revelation of Jesus Christ.